0: Steve Bolton. You are listening to My Turning Point with special guest Dan Reynolds from the band Imagine Dragons. Really, this is one of my favorite episodes we have done so far. Always enjoy talking to Dan, and this episode will show you why. Really great conversation on working with Rick Rubin on the band's new album, as well as the music that changed his life, how he got into music as a kid, and where the dreams of being a musician started for Dan. I just finished my workout, so hold on. Let me get situated. How you
1: doing, dude? <laughs> I'm doing really good, man. What, is, what kind of workout you just finished?
0: I do this. I just do different ones online. I find so this one was a 20 minute full body workout with this guy called the Body Coach. It's actually really good. Great. That's
1: yeah, awesome. There really yeah. are so many like great free online like courses that you can find. Dude,
0: well, you, you know, little just, little I mean, I started stuff. going. You know, I started doing them every day when you couldn't go to the gym, and now I'm like, well. Dude, I don't want to go back to a fucking gym, you know. Right, like, totally. I can work out at home with my dog and just chill. And uh, but yeah, we only have half hour and a lot to talk about. So um, yeah, let's, let's jump in. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Before we come out of the record, you know the po- the podcast portion, we talk about a turning point moment. And dude, there have been some great turning point moments. But I mean, I know from all the interviews you and I have done, you're going to have a great one. You know, so I was actually thinking of like, um, you know, obviously it's whatever you want. But I feel like, you know, we've spent so much time talking over the years, you and I, about Love Loud. I'd love to know if there was one moment that you feel like sort of led you to starting that.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Love Loud was a culmination of a lot. You know, it was like my youth. It probably started in middle school, Love Loud. That's, which was, you know, in sixth grade, I remember one of my good friends being bullied by everyone. Uh, he had not come out as gay and everybody questioned him all the time about his sexuality. Uh, everybody would call him slurs. It was just, it was awful. And then on top of it, he was Mormon. So he definitely didn't feel like he could come out because he felt like it was a sin. And, you know, his family would not have supported it at all because they were you know being taught that it was a sin. And it 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 really, it bothered me. It, it felt wrong. Um, and it also was what I was being taught, being raised Mormon, you know? So I don't know, just it, that, that was the beginning of feeling like this is really wrong and what can I do to help? Um, and I felt like I couldn't help my friend. You know, I, I, I all I could do was just be a friend, but we didn't even talk about it because everybody would bring it up with him. So I, the last thing I wanted to do was make him talk about it or question his sexuality or, you know, so that that just went on and I had lots of friends that were that were just gay throughout the years and uh, and you know being an artist I think I was drawn towards the art community and the art community is filled with people who are LGBTQ so it just was a big part of my youth you know I had a lot of friends who were who were LGBTQ and so. Yeah, that that's kind of where it started. And then I think once I you know, the band blew up and I was have been given immense amount of power and am like also one of the most famous Mormons, there's not a lot of famous Mormons. So, you know, it's you you reach back to your community and think, Okay, well what can I do now to give back or to help or to amplify the voice of those who don't have the power and I think as a privileged straight man it's really imperative, especially as a privileged, straight white Mormon. This was just a, a clear gap in where something was wrong. And I felt like, all right, well, let me do my part, which took very little effort. I haven't done anything heroic. I haven't done anything really much at all other than just say, hey, this is wrong. And let's put together a music festival and raise some money, you know.
0: So many levels, and we're going to tie it in with uh, you know the new album in a second. Which, by the way, I spent a lot of time with Rick. I'm always fascinated when people talk about working with him. He's just one of the most interesting freaking you know, to me you know those old commercials, the most interesting man in the world. Well, when it comes to most interesting man in music, it's Rick, and everyone else after that is kind of okay vying for second place. But before we come onto that in a second, what you just said about you know going back and reaching to your youth is fascinating. Because you talked about the fact there's not a lot of straight. You know, white Mormons and, or I'm, I'm not a lot of straight, you know, being a straight white Mormon male. And, you know, I just did a fascinating interview with Brandon from the Killers and I don't even think he's Mormon. I don't know. But it was, you know, the whole album takes place in nephi Utah. And it's so interesting because I, ima- you know, this is fascinating to me. Do you go back and as you do a new album like this, do you feel that youth coming up and those things that keep popping up in your writing?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I've, I definitely think that my youth, Mormonism, my loss of faith and religion, uh, spiritual crisis, um, dealing with mental health issues, you know, those are all the crux of everything I do with art. The reason I turned to art was because I was in a spiritual crisis in middle school and I was really depressed. That's why I started making music. And it was my journal. It was a place that felt like a safe zone that I could feel, you know, sing about my feelings and it and and express how I was feeling. And and uh, you know, those were not things I was comfortable to talk with anyone else about. But when you put it into a song, it almost feels like you're talking to someone about it. And it was very healing and cathartic for me. And that was the birth of Imagine Dragons. It was really all about those those core concepts and it was a cathartic thing for me it was never you know if even if the band had never gone anywhere i would have written all these songs because it just because i need to (laughs) that's part it's been part of my story since i was 12 i've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these songs that are just journal entries they're pages in a journal for me
0: so that's really fascinating too taking it on then to mercury act one i mean look as a writer i'm a big believer in writing being subconscious and then it leads you and then you go back and you look at it and you're like, oh shit, I didn't even know I was thinking that. So are there moments then on the new album that surprised you as a writer where you pick these things up? And it's like, again, if you're looking at it as journal entries, a lot of times, you know, journal entries are subconscious and you go through them and you're like, oh wow, that's fascinating. I didn't realize I was thinking that.
1: So, so true. Like what you're saying right there is like been the most eye-opening part of my entire career, which is when I'm writing a song, I'm never conscious fully of what I'm singing about. I'm just saying the words as they come out. It's like you're writing freehand in a, on a piece of paper and you're not thinking, you know, I'm never thinking, hey, I've never written a song where I'm thinking, I want to write a song about love. Okay, where, what's the story here that I want to tell? Well, I want to say love is hard. Like never, I just don't write that way. And I'm not saying, I don't know how other people write. I just know for me, I sit down. And I just, the words come out and I, and a lot of times I don't know what I, what I'm really thematically, what, why I'm saying these things or why, you know, what it even means until a year later. And I'll listen and I'll say, wow, you know, I never really realized that, but I was actually writing that about, you know, uh, you know, dealing with a feeling of, you know, drug addiction or, you know, whatever it is that I, in those moments you would think I would know. And I don't know. I really don't until time passes and I look back. I'm in a healthier place that I actually can confront it. I think I'm probably too scared to confront it sometimes, you know?
0: Well, so it's funny that it's probably a little early for you to talk about some of the songs on Mercury. It's so funny, though, that you say it takes you a year. I mean, I was interviewing Ani DeFranco last year, who I'm sure you know. I'm sure you've come in contact with through Love Lab, one of the most fucking coolest women in the world. you know. And <laughs> I was asking her about the new album, but she was like, I don't know, ask me in 20 years. You know, so for you, if it takes you a year, you're way better shaped than a lot of people.
1: 100%. And, and you know, the truth is, it is sometimes 10 years later, for sure. <laughs> you know, there's songs that I look, look back on our first record, Night Visions, that I never knew what, were, what they were about. And now I, now I do. Um, but that's, that, that certainly is a real thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you're, you're totally right. Sometimes it's a year. Sometimes it's five years. Sometimes you think, you know, in a year and then 10 years later, it, it, it changes. And you were saying, oh, you know what? I actually was probably writing about this. I mean, a lot of the early writings of Imagine Dragons were very, very much all about uh, spiritual crisis. That, that, that like I was spinning, I lost all faith and had the kind of, you know, a feeling of someone pulling the rug out. Uh, and that was super hard for me. Um, it just, I mean, it just was a big source of depression for me. It made me feel like life was meaningless. Why do I even try? Why care about anything? If you're just going to die, like, I don't know, like things that probably a lot of people figured out when they were younger, I didn't because I relied on, on religion, uh, that, that ended up not working for me, you know?
0: Well, so that's so fascinating. And I, w- I want to come onto the new record, but this is so interesting to me from a writing standpoint. So quickly, are there one or two songs then that you now look back on? And you feel like you have a totally new appreciation for where they came from. Or the other thing that happens too is you change so much over the years. So are there ones that you now hear in a totally different way because you hear them with the 15 years, 10 years experience that you've had since you wrote the song?
1: For sure. For sure. One song in particular that really, the the older and farther away from it I get, the more I realize what I was talking about. Um, and I was actually radioactive. That song, <laughs> I, I think the majority of people listen to it and think it's about some post apocalyptic, you know, thing or superhero thing. I've seen my, my manager sent me an article where somebody like some popular article said that I wrote it for a Spider-Man movie, completely <laughs> false. I don't know where that came from. Um, anyway, but just recently I uh, listened to it. And realized what I was singing about, which throughout the years, I've always said, oh, you know, it's a song about depression in general. But really what it, what it was about was, it was the core principle of night visions, which was all about, okay, Mormonism is false, I feel like. In my whole life, I thought it was true. Welcome to a new age. Welcome to the new birth of finding spirituality. It was completely about becoming self like not giving not saying, okay, well, Everything you thought you thought was true is not true. So I give up. Instead, it was saying, okay, everything I thought was true is false, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that everything is false. There is probably some truth out there and let's go find it. Welcome to the new age. I'm waking up. My, you know, I'm, I feel it in my bones. Like It was all about me not giving up hope uh, after losing Mormonism. That was it. And uh, it's taken me a long time to confront that because it was especially scary for me at the time. Um, but that was, that. that's, that was, you know, there's a lot of that that has happened throughout the years, looking back at songs for me.
0: So that's so interesting as well. Then are you able to step back then and say, okay, now I understand, even though I didn't even know what I was writing about. So people thought I was writing about Spider-Man, which I wasn't or whatever it is. Are you able to step back and say, I understand though why it is that this song resonated and connected deeply with so many people, because in fact, everyone is searching, even if they don't know that they're searching or they don't know what the hell they're searching for.
1: I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think the line, I'm waking up, you know, welcome to the new age. That's so, I think that's something that a lot of people feel generally. Like, you know what? I don't like them where I'm at in life right now. or I don't like who I am right now. And I want to push a restart button. And I want to comb out a new future for me. So I yeah I, I definitely think that, that that principle in general is something that a lot of people deal with and you know it's a it's a good thing that I was you know I think I, I think if I would have written a song that said Mormonism isn't the truth and I'm on the new religion like that song's not going to connect with anybody <laughs> like you know one point one percent of of listeners you know would understand that but yeah so you know I. It, I look back at a lot of my early songs and I think I hear them as very flawed as a lyricist uh, because they were so metaphorical. I was really overly metaphorical because I was so damn afraid of my family knowing what I was talking about, plain and simple. I don't care what any, like I could care less if other people knew what I was talking about because I don't know them. I don't have to live with them every day. But my family, I see them always. They matter to me more than anybody. So I don't want my mom to listen to a song and be worried about me. You know, I don't want that. She has enough to worry about. And uh, so, simple as that. Because of that, I was really overly metaphorical. And on this last record, I really tried to go against that. Rick really pushed me to stop being so damn metaphorical and be a little bit more on the nose. And, you know, not, not corny and not too trite. You know, still you can be poetic, but not overly metaphorical which is where I've landed. And it's one of my biggest weaknesses as an artist, in my opinion. So for you then,
0: are there moments that you look at as a writer where you're like, okay, that's getting closer to where I want to be on this new album where you feel like, okay, you were not too metaphorical. You were more on the nose.
1: Yeah. It's a really scary record for me in that way. To be honest with you, there's like, there's a song on the record called giants. It's really hard for me to listen to. Um, it's even hard for me to talk about. I don't even like, I'm hesitating even getting into why it's hard for me to talk about, but that song is really difficult and it, and it feels scary for me to release it for a lot of reasons. And yeah, there's, there's quite a few songs on this record that are um, just really vulnerable and talking about things that I don't know that I, you know, fully want to express, but I think it's probably important for me as part of my journey. And Rick has helped me to feel comfortable to do that.
0: It's funny you say that. I love Giants. Easy come, easy go was another one. I love that one, two, three in the middle of number one, easy come, easy go, and Giants.
1: Yeah. Easy come, easy go is also one that's that's really hard for me. It's, uh, so I'm glad you like them because, man, it, it definitely took a lot for me to get to have the got Like, I just, it's hard for me to have the confidence to put those things out. It's really scary for me.
0: Do you feel like as you've gotten older, it becomes easier to put that stuff out? That it becomes easier to be more open? Yeah
1: i mean i'm doing it so for sure i wouldn't have done this 10 years ago i wouldn't have ever put out a song like that ever for a million reasons but mainly to protect you know the people i love my family and just because i just would feel judged or you know i don't know i I don't know really but uh yeah i let go a lot like there's there's a lot of a lot of things on this record that was that's new ground for me and i really credit it to rick um making me feel comfortable, making me find self-confidence as an artist uh, to, to say things and go places that I, I typically wouldn't have gone. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty guarded person. I let very few people in my life. It's a big flaw that I've always had. I, I don't make new friends. I keep my circle really tight and close. You know, I have the same friends from, from uh, middle school. Those are my, my best friends that I haven't made a, a new friend and I don't know. Decade, at least. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a pretty, you know, I'm an I'm a introverted person who's supposed to have an extroverted career. Uh, and that's always been a thing for me. I've never gone out to nightclubs or done any of that rock star shit that, you know, you're supposed to do. But,
0: but I mean, that, as someone who talks to more artists than freaking anyone in the world at this point, I actually think that's 100% normal. And it's interesting. I was lucky enough to go to one of Prince's 3121 parties that he threw back in the day. What I noticed about that party with him, he didn't talk to anybody that he didn't play music with. Literally, there's 200 people in his house or in the house he was renting. No one there that he talked to that he wasn't playing music with. It's funny. I think there's so many artists have a tendency and you're around a lot of artists. You're around a lot of people. And going back to the vulnerability for a second, I I think for a lot of artists, the only way they can express themselves is through music. I just was talking with Ryan Tedder who I love, about Jim Croce's song, a different one. But then you go back to a Jim Croce song, like I'll have to say I love you in a song. And it literally is like, I can't say anything. So I'm going to put this in music. So it's funny for you. Do you find that music has become, or or uh, it's obvious that music is your way of expressing yourself, but have you been surprised at how you've been able to grow and express these more private things as you get more comfortable doing it? And, and I'm curious, as you become... More open as an artist. This is fascinating to me. Do you find that it then infiltrates your life as well, where you become more
1: open because you're more used to talking to people through music? I think so. I think it, you know. I think it plays both ways for me, though. Like, I find when I get off the stage, I'm so like I'm a moat. It's like physically drained, whatever. Like it's it's a physical thing, but that's fine. Like for me, I am I feel very emotionally drained. I get off the stage and I have trouble even like. Looking someone in the eye <laughs> afterwards, like I want to go crawl into a, a a hole in and hide. But when I'm on that stage, I feel so alive and totally free, and so connected with humans. I could look everybody in the eye and just feel so connected. I don't have any self confidence issues there. I don't have any anything, no hindrance. And that's that's why I love music. That's why I still do it because uh, I live for that live experience. But you know, um, I'm, I'm sure songwriting and being vulnerable has also helped me, you know, to, to, to be more vulnerable. I'm certain, like with people that I'm close with, all I want to talk about is vulnerable things. All I want to talk about is spiritual things. Like, I don't have, I'm, I, conversation for me is, I'm very interested in deep, meaningful uh, sharing time sh- over a meal with people I love. That's what I, I, I love that. And i and talking about life and the real shit and what hurts and what feels great. And like laughing hard and crying hard. Like that's what I live for, for sure. Um, and I'm sure music has allowed me to, you know, it's part of the reason that I'm, I do music and part of the reason that music has done that for me. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of dynamics at play with it all.
0: All right. Well, again, going back to the conversation I just had with Brian, cause we were talking about this and it's interesting. Are there artists, this is a two part question. First, are there artists that are peers of yours that are kind of coming up in the same place that you're either friends with or that you just look to and you admire because you're kind of having a similar trajectory? And I mentioned Brandon Flowers at one point. I mentioned Ryan. I think as you get older, some of these same things come up for all songwriters, which is, you know, being more vulnerable, going back to your past. So I'm curious, before we come on to the artists that sort of the classic artists that influence you in your vulnerability, are there artists that you look to that are peers and whether you're friends with them or not, you just sort of, watch the way they're sharing these similar things and it's inspiring.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, in truth, I am such a homebody, and, uh, I live in Vegas, so I'm not in LA. Uh, I, I, you know, there's, I just don't really, uh, I don't know a, a lot of artists on a deep personal level. So yeah, I guess from the outside, I can look at some people, um, But, you know, most of my artist friends are, you know, in bands that are like indie level. And I don't know, there's there's different conversations to be had there. Like there's definitely some things to associate with, but there's like, you know, as far as like peers who are like, when you're talking about Brandon or something like that, like people who are playing these large places and all the things that come with fame and those things, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't have a good answer for you on that one. I don't really know. I don't spend much time with with them. I don't know Brandon really on a personal level. I've met him, you know, we've sang together on stage, and I've met him here and there and had superficial conversation, but nothing, you know, where I feel like I know him or can speak for him. Same with Ryan, I've met him a few times. Seems like a really nice guy, but I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, no, I definitely. That's fair. I
0: was also just curious, you know, just strictly from a songwriting standpoint, but that's also fair and and. You know, there's, there's a couple of things we're going to have to wrap up in a minute. And there are a couple other things that I want to get in. So one, I'm curious when you look back then over your career or over your life as a fan, those artists where you that inspire you in their vulnerability, those sort of classic records, where you look at it and say, okay, it kind of surprised me that they were able to put so much of themselves out there. And that inspires you as a writer to say, okay, I can do this.
1: 100%. Okay. I see what you're saying. 100% on that. Yes. Cat Stevens. I love cat Stevens. I'm probably more influenced by him than anyone else lyrically. I listen to Father and Son. I listen to like so many of these songs that you know in like from the age of like thirteen, I was just digesting everything he did uh and it just the vulnerability of him Harry Nelson same thing for me, so much vulnerability there, so many like moments that are you know I don't know I just. You feel I, even if it's not even the words. Sometimes it's just what I feel. Bob Dylan. Um, there's just a lot of feeling and, and real emotion in in those songs that that speaks to me, and and that comes from vulnerability for sure. Um, yeah, that, and that's the, those are the songs that all that, those are the musicians that really resonate with me. That's the stuff I really grew up on, like Paul Simon, and um, just yeah, Beatles and. Just singer songwriter. You know, that's why it's always been weird to me that we're kind of genreified into uh rock because I don't I don't really think of us as that. I really don't. Like I don't know what we are exactly. I understand we have guitar and we're four guys and we play our instruments on stage and blah blah blah. But I don't
0: know. Well, but I mean it's I mean, you know <laughs> I, that's that's a whole other separate conversation. And it's interesting because I mean you look back and, you know, I mean some of the greatest singer songwriters were in bands, so but that's people just sort of classify things easily. Um, sure. And I'm glad you mentioned that, by the way. Cat Stevens is one of my favorite artists of all time. I'm obsessed all the time. Like, and those songs are just so, okay, quickly one Cat Stevens songs you wish you had written. What is it?
1: Oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I'd have to just go back to the first song that ever made me like the first song that I cried to. I was, a, I was a, probably 12 years old, super feeling lost super having like hormonal issues, like starting all of that like stuff, hating middle school, dealing with depression, not understanding what it was. And I listened to father and son and it just made me weep. And it was like, that's that. If I had to pinpoint the moment I fell in love with music, like it became my life. It was that moment, father and son Stevens. So I, I would have to say that that song, you know, something about how it's written in that narrative form and, his father speaking to his son and the son like, Oh, just, man, it's just so brilliant and perfect and vulnerable. I'm going to have to go with that. Yeah. That's
0: an amazing song. And quickly, uh, cause I know we got to wrap up, but just as a fan, you'll appreciate it, cause I got to interview Yusuf now for this Tea for the Tillerman reissue. And I don't know if you noticed this or if you checked it out, but what they actually did was to create the father and son was he used his vocals from the troubadour in 1971 to play the son and using his new vocals as the father. It's just amazing.
1: Whoa. No, I had no idea of that. That's amazing. Whoa. So (laughs) as a fan, I
0: definitely recommend you check it out. So last two questions. One quickly, because again, I know we got to wrap up. This is also fascinating. You mentioned a couple of times how Rick sort of helped you as a writer. And again, I've known him for years. I absolutely love talking to that guy. He's so fascinating. Were there one or two things that you can pinpoint that really helped draw you out? Or was it simply just working with someone of that caliber kind of inspires you because when you look at the artists he's worked with, I mean, it's funny. Look, you can look at it and say, okay, cool. We've won Grammys. We've done this. We've had this success. When you're working with someone who's worked with Johnny Cash and Neil Diamond and that level, it's got to feel so flattering.
1: Yeah, you know, I think for the first and foremost, what helped me the most with Rick was I trusted him. I trusted his energy. We spent some time together before we started working and just talked about life. And he, I really like, I felt like I trusted this person like, and he made me feel comfortable to be vulnerable. I think that is huge for a producer because that's the person that you're going to be sitting with and who's going to tell you some hard truths that are going to be hard to hear. Um, but it wasn't hard with Rick because I knew that it was all coming from a place that was not egocentric. It was about the art. It was about the music. It was about pushing. Uh, so I trusted him. He would often say to me two things. He would say, this is two in the box. That was a, a reoccurring theme. This is two in the box. It's not exciting for me. And so we would just move on to something else. Or we would try to push it to a place that was out of the box, but still felt real. That was a big thing. He didn't want to do anything that wasn't exciting. I think he's at a place in life and in his career where he has nothing to prove. He's not looking to you know, do anything other than what's exciting to him. And that doesn't mean that it's not going to be simple songwriting. It might be the core, simple, you know, whatever it is, but it has to be moving, real. He would also often say to me, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. He said, I understand that you're saying that. I understand that you meant it. But as a listener, I don't believe it when you say that. And that was really, <laughs> yeah, that was hard to hear. I'd be like, well, Rick, I meant it. What do you mean you don't believe it? Like I, I meant it, I sang it. He said, right. But as a listener, I don't believe it. And so, you, you know, you can leave it like that. I'm just letting you know as a listener, I don't believe it. So somebody else probably is not going to believe it either. Is that okay with you? Are you fine with that? And I was, of course I'd say, well, no, I'm not fine with that because I meant it and I'm not lying, you know? So then I'd go and we would re-sing it and I'd rework it and change lyrics. And then sometimes it would work. And then sometimes still it just wouldn't. And then it just went on the chopping block, you know? Yeah.
0: All right. Well, and it's funny given the recurring theme in this interview about the fact that it takes a while for this to figure out what a song is about. This may be a tricky question to wrap up on, but what do you take from Mercury Act One when you listen to it as a whole?
1: Um, I think that it's coming to terms with the finality of life. If I had to wrap it all into... And look, maybe we're going to talk in 10 years and I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, that's not it. But as of right now, when I listened to it, you know, I listened to the entire record for the first, I, I took a break from it for a while so I could have some perspective. And then the other day I just listened to it in this entirety two days ago. And I was, one, I was really proud of the record. Um, you know, I was, I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it because I had worked for three years on it and I was really burnt. But I, I listened to it and I thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of this record, one and two. It, it, uh, it really felt like someone who, uh, is coming to terms with the finality of life. And that's, that's what I'm, you know, evidently, I mean, I'm sure that's what everybody's trying to do. We either are trying to not think about it at all because it's so scary or find peace with it. And, uh, I'm not saying I found peace with it, but it's somewhere in the world where I'm not as disheveled about it. I'm kind of coming to terms with it, but I don't think I've come to terms with it. You know what I mean? Something like that
0: yeah cool what do you want to add we did not talk about
1: because as usual we cover a lot no i mean it's always a pleasure it's really refreshing always to do interviews with you because it feels like just a conversation and really thoughtful questions and just really appreciate you man really appreciate all the years and and look forward to to many more to come i hope well we'll
0: have to revisit this album in 10 years and see what you think (laughs) that's a deal Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Dan Reynolds. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Thanks.
1: If you're a parent with cancer, you're probably worried that your child is feeling scared, sad, or alone when all you want is for them to just feel like a kid. Camp Kesem is a free week-long overnight camp for children ages 6 to 18 who have a parent facing cancer and was created for kids like yours to have a joyful and empowering summer. Kids have a blast together enjoying camp activities surrounded by a compassionate community of friends. Register your child for a free life-changing adventure at kesem.org camp.
0: Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football